Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and today I'm I'm delighted to be joined by Brad Eggert, who we cajoled in a hockey palooza call to come on and do this silly podcast. Uh, Amy Murray asked me to come on and, and get you and Alan Brooks to, to come on and do the podcast. So I really appreciate you, Brad, taking the time. And it's an honor to have you on here. How are you? I am well, Christian. So happy to be here. Uh, I, not much cajoling. I think it was more tongue in cheek. So happy to join. Well, I'm very, very happy to have you on. Amy's been trying to get you and some other people on for a while, so I'm glad that we were able to make it happen. And I think we've been exchanging emails for a period of time as well. So it's nice that we were finally able to make this connection all work. Now, before we dive into Salt Lake 2002, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and uh, where you're joining us from and what you're currently doing? Sure. I am uh, talking to you today from Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, I've lived here for about 15 years now. Uh, no desire to go anywhere else. Um, it, we've got the best of all things right here. Uh, I think Charleston, in the last six years, has been listed on Condé Nast Traveler as the, the top destination in the world. So uh, I, I'm happy to have people come join and hang out and spend some time here. Uh, it, it's just a really great place. Um, married, I uh, have two kids in second grade and kindergarten. Uh, who are actually in school, uh, have been in school since September. So uh, we've been very blessed with that. Uh, well, we've had the effects of the, the pandemic. Um, I don't think it's been as drastic as other areas of the country or the world. Uh, but, you know, we've got the beach to go to. We've got parks in the neighborhood, uh, our little social pod of families with children the same age here. So life's pretty good. Uh, I, I am still working, um, but it's been totally remote. Uh, I've been grounded since uh, early March in 2020. What I do is I, uh, I'm a project manager in the Global Event Safety and Security uh, Group for uh, a large company that's based in Seattle. Uh, we help support their events uh, around the world. Uh, so it's been a little odd to shift our support from in-person and working with local agencies and contract security and venues to uh, doing it virtually and figuring out how to bring our intelligence group in to uh, monitor live chats and uh, look for inappropriate communications and any potential disruptions on platforms such as this. So uh, it's definitely been a learning experience, but uh, very blessed and grateful uh, to have a job at this point. Yeah, I understand. Um, it's been a very, very odd year, and I am very much looking forward to it ending. <laughs> Not the year 2020, but this because 2020, of course, already ended, but the pandemic itself. Yeah, I'm definitely ready to move on. I will say um, here in the state of Utah, which is where I'm connecting with you from, they're doing a really good job with the rollout of the vaccines. And uh, I'm going to get mine tomorrow. And uh, and they they are opening up basically the vaccines to everybody at the beginning of April. So Great. hopefully hopefully by May, we will all be vaccinated and we can have full crowds, events, and it'll be nice. We'll see. Here's hoping. 
Here's hoping. Well, enough about pandemic talk. Uh, let's let's talk about Salt Lake. That's why we're here. Let's look back at your joining the Salt Lake Organizing Committee. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you were doing before you came to work for the Salt Lake Organizing Committee and just how you found yourself in Salt Lake City? Sure. It's uh, kind of an odd road that I followed to get there. Um, I think it goes back to my internship out of college was with the Southeastern Conference, uh, athletic conference um, based in the Southeast U.S. And it, just an intern learning about events and how things worked and things like that. And the first event I got tasked to work was the SEC Volleyball Championships at the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia. And while there, uh, I met a grad assistant by the name of Andy Williams. Uh, so start of a what has now become a lifelong friendship. So got to know Andy and uh, someone like-minded, same age, same sort of interests. Uh, so started keeping in touch. The second event uh, that I worked was the SEC football championship uh, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia at the Georgia Dome, where I met an event coordinator there named Karen Wright. So I met these two people individually before they had met each other. Uh, and they've since played a very important uh, role in my life. So stayed in touch as I moved on to other jobs, uh, including in Lake Placid, New York, as an event coordinator for the Olympic Authority there, uh, the Olympic Regional Development Authority, which manages the venues that were used in the 1980 and 1932 Olympics. So that was sort of my introduction to winter sports. Um, so learned about things like biathlon and Nordic combined and uh, sledge hockey, things that, you know, being a kid who grew up in the Midwest, uh, you know, the soccer, baseball, uh, football, basketball kind of upbringing uh, was all new to me. Uh, but it enjoyed it, had a great time, you know, had to find out what uh, snow bibs and uh, toques and all sorts of winter apparel were. So that was uh, definitely a great experience. From there, I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina to work in a, uh, a sports internet broadcasting uh, startup. Um, it was sort of the, the precursor to the, the internet broadcast that you see now. Uh, and it, basically an event coordinator there and setting things up and, and having a good time. While doing that, um, Andy and Karen at that point had gotten together, moved out to Salt Lake, uh, and invited me to come out uh, to spend some time with them, see what was happening. Had me apply for a couple of jobs. So I went out in uh, August of 2000 um, and figured, why not? I mean, I was happy in Raleigh and life was good, but sure, I'm single, nothing that was keeping me anywhere. So I thought I'd give it a shot. So went out, um, you know, got on my flight in Raleigh and flew through Chicago. Uh, and when I got to Chicago, there was a delay. And so my bag then needed to be checked. I wasn't room on the flight. And when I arrived in Salt Lake, my luggage doesn't arrive. So here I am in a new city I've never been to with 
no clothes. So I have to borrow and buy and try to figure out. So kind of unsettled, but uh, had a, what I thought was a good round of interviews and great conversations, met some great people, um, but was not offered a position. So it was, you know, no skin off of me. And I made my way back to Raleigh and continued doing what I was doing. Uh, January rolled around and Andy reached out uh, looking for some help uh, at some test events. So I took some vacation time and went out and helped out at Soldier Hollow and uh, Ice Sheet at Ogden and uh, worked with BG Morris and the, uh, and the logistics uh, function. So had a great time. Um, and, you know, spent time with BG and Jason Boyd and Matt Sebastianski and uh, really got into what was happening out there. Uh, and that was kind of my turning point that, hey, I want to be a part of this. Uh, you know, from the months before where it was just sort of on a lark to, yeah, I'll come see what's happening to now, I want to be a part. So had some conversations and tried to figure out, you know, what are next steps? How do we find out what's there? Um, and so went back to Raleigh and uh, started having more email contact and some phone calls. And then one day I go into work and uh, was laid off as the company had been purchased and downsizing and a little bit devastating. First time I'd ever lost a job and uh, didn't really know what to do and, you know, called family and let Andy know. And by that afternoon, my phone rings and it's BG Morris. And he says, come out. I can put you to work. We'll get you some money. Then we'll figure out next steps. Um, and that, I, I, to this day, I'm still truly grateful for BG and his uh, efforts to, to keep me engaged and bring me out. So, you know, I packed a big duffel bag and uh, came out and continued helping at logistics and then got exposed to some of the other venues, uh, you know, as test events were happening and they just needed bodies. And uh, so just sort of moved around and... And while out there, I uh, started having conversations and meeting more people and finding about what positions were becoming available. So, uh, you know, applied for some jobs. And uh, interestingly enough, I, I found that this was not supposed to happen, but I had two active offers at the same time. Uh, and my understanding through talking to folks in HR that that was never supposed to happen. If you get an offer, you accept it or decline it. If you decline it, another offer can be brought forth. But I had uh, two offers. One was the operations manager for ice hockey, overseeing the two practice venues. Uh, and the other was for venue logistics manager at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Uh, and as I was weighing and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, uh, you know, the compensation was uh, just about the same. Uh, but in looking forward... I felt like I wanted to move more into the event management side versus the logistics side. Uh, so accepted the, the role on the, with the ice hockey uh, with Alan and Karen and Tim Larkin and Donna Walsh and John Peaster. And, uh, and, and I think it worked out great. Um, you know, Rice Eccles ended up with Tim Fidel as uh, the BLM there. Uh, and everybody was happy. And so then just moved into Salt Lake and, uh, started my time with Slack.
Wow, that's a really cool story. And there's a lot to unpack there. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions. Number one, going back to the very beginning of it, uh, you mentioned that you were interning and you did this intern uh, working for the SEC. So what school were you attending and what were you studying? Was it aligned with this event work that you ended up doing? Uh, Actually, yes. I had graduated from the University of Kentucky. Uh, So it was a postgraduate internship uh, with no credit. It was a salaried position. Uh, I think at that point, I came across that offer letter not too long ago. It was in the $15,000 range for a year. Um, uh, But very exciting to be introduced to the world of college. Well, I mean, I worked in college athletics and media relations at Kentucky, uh, but to then move to the event management side. It's kind of how I got my start and got the taste and uh, seeing some of the big events at uh, the Georgia Dome, uh, really the event management and sports event bug is where I caught it. All right. That's it's good and bad because, it, yes, you're working for our nemesis. You know, I'm a University of Utah graduate, of course, and in the 1990s, we would be running into Kentucky and we could never get past Kentucky in the NCAA tournament in March Madness. And it was uh, Kentucky was the bane of our collective existence back then. But glad to hear that you ended up coming out here to Salt Lake City. So I want to ask, what did you think when you arrived here? Because it's a very different place than uh, Raleigh, North Carolina or in Kentucky or Charleston, South Carolina, where you're at right now. It, it was it, uh, phenomenal. I mean, I've traveled some uh, with my family and a little bit uh, in college, but to be exposed to the mountains every day, the, the fresh air is a different fresh air than you get in the South. Um, the year-round activities, uh, you know, the golf courses are... Uh, transition into cross-country skiing and uh, just all the stuff that it it was a very outdoor place. Uh, You know, when you think outdoors in the South, it's hunting and fishing uh, and being on the water on boats. Um, But uh, in Salt Lake, it was totally different with hiking and camping and exploring i mean just the uh the national parks that are available at just hours away and the things to do it was uh one of the best experiences of my life all right so you accept the role tell us a little bit about that role what your responsibilities were and settling into it yeah it was um kind of my first true leadership role um you know, while I had a great leader and great boss and Alan Brooks, and I, I'm sorry he's going to hear this because he probably won't ever let me hear the end of it, but the best boss I ever had. Um, it was sort of <sighs> leadership with training wheels. Like he left me to my own devices, but he was always there if I had questions or if he needed to write the ship just a little bit and point me in the right direction. Uh, Bev Carey was on uh, a number of episodes ago and she explained it. It, it was a little challenging being a, a training venue, a practice facility that there were no spectators. So it was it, sort of a second tier uh, venue. I mean, we had every functional area that every other venue had. We just didn't have spectators. Uh, so Alan sort of helped me learn the nuance of being the squeaky wheel to 
to get some things that we needed, but uh, not be overpowering or annoying to, to cause problems. Um, but it, I, while I got to visit the E-Center, uh, my time was split between the Acord Ice Center uh, in West Valley City and the County Ice Center uh, in Murray. Um, so it was a lot of bouncing back and forth. Uh, our, our team grew a little bit. We, uh, I had Todd, Todd Rutledge uh, working with me at County Ice Center and Billy Gaudet at uh, Acord Ice Center in West Valley. So it, those two ran those venues. Uh, I was just there to help run interference or help get them what they needed. Uh, so I you know, was wearing a path between the two. Uh, so it was... Um, you know, as they were existing venues and we had to take them over, uh, it was a lot of coordination with the, the facility managers there who were, uh, Salt Lake County employees, uh, John Baron Brugge at uh, County Ice Center and Brad Pitcher at Acord. Uh, great working relationship. You know, obviously they're protective of their space, but they were also excited to be a part of the Olympics as well. So, uh, it, it was a really good experience. that you transitioned into a leadership role. It was your very first real quote unquote leadership role. And yes, you had Alan who was kind of there as a, as a mentor and with the training wheels, but sometimes that's, that's not easy to make that transition. Sometimes it is quite easy. So did it feel pretty natural for you to make that transition from kind of being, you know, the line staff to being in a more management role? Or were there some challenges uh, associated with making that kind of leap? Yeah, there were definitely challenges. I mean, I was here. I was a 26, 27 year old kid that was used to being the work the worker bee, uh, being given marching orders, being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, uh, and here I am that it's got to get done, and it's on me. Um, you know, there are no excuses. The you know, old cliche, the buck stops here, that if there are issues or problems, I, I have to make sure they get resolved. It's, while I had someone to go to, he was always there, but ultimately it was my responsibility. So it was uh, definitely a lot of growing up that happened for me uh, personally and professionally. Now, you mentioned it was your responsibility to resolve issues. I'm curious what some of those issues might have been. You know, sometimes they could be pretty hilarious looking back, or sometimes they could have been fairly grave, or maybe it was pretty smooth sailing and you didn't have a lot of serious issues to contend with them. I mean, what was that like? What were some of the issues, uh, perhaps some of them foreseen, perhaps some of them unexpected that came your way? Yeah, I've got three that I was uh, jotting notes down that were... Uh a little interesting. So the, the first happened at County Ice Center. Um, I show up to the venue at probably 7, 7.30 in the morning. And um, the event services manager, it comes right to me and says, Brad, we've got an issue at the front. Someone's trying to bring something in and won't let our team inspect it. Um, and if you remember, our event services staff sort of served that contract security role of screening and getting people through metal detectors and things like that. So I walk out and find out that it's our venue commander who is trying to bring a sealed box into the venue. So I've got to try to figure out a way to appease and encourage and 
praise the event services staff for doing their job, what they're supposed to do, but recognizing that our venue commander has a little bit more authority. I mean, this is a man who is allowed to bring a firearm into the venue. So the rules are a little different. So I had to sort of massage it a little bit and, you know, pull him aside to kind of ask, Hey, is there a reason why this, why they can't look in the box? And he said, I can tell you what it is. I don't want to tell them because I don't want it to get out. And I, so we need to find a way through it. I said, Oh, okay. What's the, what's in the box? He said, have you ever seen Pulp Fiction? I said, yeah, great movie. He said, do you remember the scene um, where Uma Thurman overdoses and John Travolta has to take the needle of adrenaline and drive it into her heart? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was a pretty shocking moment. He said, that's what's in this box. In the case of biological attack, these are for designated individuals on the venue, including yourself. And that was an eye opener to me. You know, we're on the heels of 9-11, which had tremendous impact on our operations. So it, it was working through that, but that was kind of my aha moment. Like, this is the real deal. You know, I know we've had tabletop exercises and talking through, but uh, it, so work through that you know, kind of placated the event services staff, uh, made them understand that, you know, things are a little different and uh, that he's the venue commander and this is something that's allowed and, you know, it went up through the mock and all that. Um, so, so that was the first one that was a, pretty interesting. Right. Before um, you get to the second one, yeah. I just have to interject and say, well, it would have been even cooler if it was the actual syringe that was used in the movie Pulp Fiction, but <laughs> it, would, it would have been absolutely. absolutely. So I have to, I have to ask, and I don't know if the statute of limitations has passed on this or not, but who actually is designated to get the adrenaline shots? Um, I, that I never found out. Uh, Classified. It, it, that was never shared with me. I don't know if that's something that Alan knew. Um, but it was obviously something that UOPSIC had developed and done. I don't know how much of the medical personnel were involved in that. Uh, so I didn't get, I didn't dig too deep. It was still, you know, young guy, first leadership role. I don't know what I can ask, um, but made it through it. So, yeah, there's like five people designated to survive the zombie apocalypse uh, when it happens here with these injections. OK, let's get to the second story. What's the what's the next uh, issue that you faced? Yeah, the next one was uh, at Acord Ice Center. Um, I get a call from Billy Gaudet saying, Brad, I really need you to come over here. Um, I've got some members of the U.S. team who are very upset. Um, and it like very upset, like almost threatening physical violence. So I hustle over and find out that what had happened was a number of the fire and EMS personnel that were assigned to the venue had brought some jerseys to be signed by the U.S. team. Well, we had gone through all sorts of planning and everybody understood that Practice venues were off limits. You know, if you're working, you don't ask for autographs, you don't ask for pictures. 
And so Billy had seen this occurring um, and stopped it from happening, confiscated the, the pucks and the jerseys um, and had them in his office. And apparently a member of the U.S. team, uh, very well-known hockey player, had come in and like banging his stick on the door and yelling that it's my decision. You know, if I want to sign things, I can sign them. You have no right to do this. Uh, so the U.S. team had left by the time I got there, uh, but was able to work through, talk to the individuals who had done it. They were very apologetic. They did not want to cause problems. And so at the end of the night, as shift change and overnight personnel and the people who were around when it happened had left, I then boxed up the items, went down the street to the police station, uh, met the paramedics in the parking lot, gave them their stuff back. They understood that mea culpa, everything's good. We're not going to talk about it. Everything will be fine. So uh, kind of worked through that one and smoothed through that one as well. <laughs> it's always it's always difficult, right? Because ultimately what you're trying to do is give the athletes every chance for success. And so you put these policies in place for their protection and benefit. Uh, so it's difficult when they want to do things that run counter to the policies that are enacted to help them. Uh, so I totally understand that one. What's your third incident or issue? Yep. The third incident happened. I was at County Ice Center uh, in Murray, and it was about a 15-minute drive uh, between the two venues. And I get a call from Billy that fire alarms had been activated and were being forced to evacuate. And I, I don't know if you remember, we had a bubbles and a transportation system that you know buses had to be screened and people, and if they came from the village in a closed uh, motor coach, they were fine, could come in. And, but if we move them out of the perimeter, then they become unclean and everyone has to go through the screen again. The bus then has to go be screened again. So I encourage him get everybody out, but make sure they stay within the fence line perimeter so that we don't have to go through all of that. Um, we had, I think, two magnetometers at each venue. So they, to get groups of people through, it would have taken a while. Um, so he's doing that. I'm racing over. And before I can get onto I-15, which is you know two minutes from County Ice Center, um, my phone rings. Um, and it's Lou Loria. Hey, Brad, it's Lou. Hey, Lou, how are you? He's like, so tell me what's happening at Acord. He's sitting in the mock uh, for the event management function and trying to figure out. So it, I share what information I have. He's obviously seen the alarms uh, and we it, coordinate him with the transportation folks and the event services folks. Um, by the time I get there, we're, we're able to sort of cancel and reschedule that practice get them back on buses and out and not have to go through the, the screening process for everyone again. So uh, one of those a crisis averted, uh, but also the, the reminder that Big Brother is watching with Lou calling shortly after I'm notified uh, was pretty entertaining. I have to ask, was there an actual fire? Or what was the reason for the alarm being set off in the first place? The uh, Acord Ice Center is connected by wall to the West Valley Family Fitness Center. 
which has, you know, your standard fitness fair, uh, indoor pool and sort of water park. And they had uh, one of their heating elements in a concession stand on the family fitness center side. But since the building is connected by a wall, uh, the alarm system is connected throughout. So that's what caused it. So there were no issues with our, within our specific hockey venue, uh, but with the attached building was where it occurred. And the follow-up question here is, in tabletop exercises or operational readiness exercises, did you foresee this happening and game plan for it ahead of time? Or were you surprised that it happened? It, we had never exercised it before our venues, anything happening in the adjacent facility. Uh, we exercised issues happening within our venue, uh, but hadn't realized the connection of the two. Um, but worked through it. And obviously, we spent some time talking that night, should it happen again? And how can we limit and uh, things like that. But prior to we had not addressed uh, much of the attached building. Was it all just running around putting out fires? What was a day in the life of Brad like during the games themselves? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty smooth. Um, you know, the apartment that Andy and I shared was uh, about two minutes from County Eye Center. We lived there in Murray, uh, so it was you know getting up at five five thirty, getting to County, making sure everything was set for the day, uh, then roll over to Acord, make sure things were going well. Uh, based on what teams were practicing where um, and any, you know, intelligence on, you know, we had one issue at Acord where uh, Canada and U.S. were uh, practicing back to back. Uh, so I just wanted to be available in case there was any animosity or, you know, trying to move people, exiting one door, coming in another type thing. Uh, but no issues like that. Um, one of the best parts for me was, you know, Andy had moved out to Soldier Hollow uh, for the duration, and both of my parents came into town and volunteered at County Ice Center. Uh, so my mom was one of the HR managers, uh, and my dad was one of the transportation coordinators at County. Um, so just getting to connect with them uh, throughout the game was a lot of fun. Uh, we joked about they came and slept on a air mattress in my living room. Um, you know, I, I needed to sleep in my bed. You know, I was working, you know, 20 hour days and, uh, but they were troopers, great sports, had a fantastic time. You know, I was talking to them that I was, uh, going to speak with you and, you know, they were sharing their excitement and fond memories of, you know, the volunteers, sort of adopted the Kazakhstan women's team. Uh, you know, they didn't win a single game, um, you know, obviously no fans. So a group of volunteers went and, you know, got made gift bags for them and bought a Kazakhstan flag and made the trip down to Provo for some of their games just to yell and cheer and support them. Uh, you know, that was pretty moving for my dad to just have some of that interaction. Uh, my mom had the opportunity to drive the Zamboni machine. So, she, uh, you know, that was a thrill for her to, uh, to do that. But, you know, having them out there uh, made it nice as well. So, you know, 
I saw my parents every day while I'm working um, and going through stuff. But it was pretty smooth, you know, with uh, Todd at County and uh, Billy over at Acord. But they ran it. Um, and I was just there sort of to help. And where they needed assistance, I did plug me in and uh, had a great time. Well, the story about your parents or the stories about your parents of volunteering, I think that's awesome. In fact, this week, we are airing the first podcast episode that we've done with a volunteer. I'm really excited about it. So if your parents or any other volunteers that you know want to come on and share their stories, we'd love to have them on. I think this is awesome. I want to ask you about the stuff that was extracurricular. And I don't necessarily mean that in a raunchy sense at all. I mean, just when you, I think for people that came from out of state to come work these games, they created their own social fabric, their own little families, if you will, and did a lot of things together. And so I was wondering what life outside of work was like for you in the lead up to and during games time. Yeah, we've, we've talked about it in our Hockey Blues group a bunch that, uh, you know, it was sort of like college 2.0. Uh, you know, we'd go to the office all day and attend meetings and do our work. That was sort of like our classes. But, you know, then at night, we uh, would play softball together or touch footy. Or, uh, we'd, you know, always be involved. You know, all these people coming from all over, you know, thrown together uh, for many of us in a, in a new place, uh, new people. Uh, so it was, you know, making friends and seeing the start of relationships that folks ended up getting married and have families now, uh, you know, going on camping trips and exploring all that Utah had to offer. Uh, you know, there was a stretch during the summer of uh, 2001 that, you know, every week, uh, four of us would get up and go play golf in the morning. You know, we'd go golf at 630 and in the office by 8.30. Uh, and it, it was just it, a different lifestyle that, that, like the college experience, you know, on our own, but here now we've got salaries that we can go and do and see and be. And, uh, you know, our group seemed to always rally back around to Trolley Wing Company and, you know, have wings and beer and tell stories and, you know, the Peacers had children while they were out there. So those became involved in uh, Halloweens and uh, New Year's parties and uh, holidays together. Uh, being far away from family, but they became our family. So it, it just, it was a lot of fun. Truly a special time. Well, I typically end this segment on a goosebump moment, but before we get to that, is there anything else in your memory banks, any other stories that you want to surface before we get to the kind of inspirational moment? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of the personal relationships that were developed, um, you know, people that we got to meet and spend time with and get to know, um, you know, before we moved out to venues, when we were in our, uh, venue teams in the office, I sat next to Lisa Errol every day and just the, the laughs and the sharing of emotions and things and doing was uh, truly special. She's someone who I really missed. She uh, went back to Australia for the holidays and made the decision to not return uh, just on the 
heels of 9-11. Um, but stayed in touch and uh, still we stay in touch. I've made a trip or two to Australia and have connected with her when I'm there. And uh, so miss people like that. Um, you know, the walking through the office and walking down and seeing Molly Mazzolini, who I'd known before from the University of Kentucky, or Jeff Pace, who worked in logistics, who had worked at the sports internet company with me. He came out and worked. Um, Cam Jessup, I know others have spoken of her, uh, missed her. She and I kept in touch through the years as well uh, until she passed. Um, just the connections with people were fantastic. Uh, we were talking about um, you know, the extracurriculars. And I remember one softball game that we played. We played on a co-ed team. I think there were three teams from Slock that played. So we always had fun playing each other. We had one game that we were short women to play. And you could only play as many men as you played women. So we only had four women, which meant we could only play four men. So trying to play softball with eight people was a little challenging. And the good sport that she is, Anita Chandler, who had never played before, but was athletic in her own right, um, offered to play. And so we tried to hide her at second base and, you know, our first baseman kind of played a little more and I played shortstop to play a little more just so we could have the bodies out there. And, you know, there's a, we're in the field and uh, the opposing team hits one to left field and Sean Mackey, God bless him, love him to death, college baseball player, fields the ball, comes up, fires one to second base to try to keep the runner at first. And I'm out there to try to get the cutoff. And it's, he throws it right over my head, right to second base. I mean, it's right on line. And Anita puts her glove up to catch it. And it goes right past her glove and hits her in the eye and ends up shattering the orbit of her eye. And it was the most heart-wrenching, horrible thing and I, we felt so bad, but she was so great. We, I remember we took her to the hospital and, uh, you know, the medical personnel are faxing, um, you know, x-rays down to her mom, who was a nurse in Australia and getting through it all. And I, I hope that she does not continue to hold it against us, but loved her to death. But just some of the it, quirky, strange things that it, it's just part of life, um, but uh, a a sad but uh, heartfelt memory uh, of of just that whole scene. Wow that that memory brings back traumatic memories for me because when I was when I was younger playing baseball, I hit a ball to left field, shallow left field, and it was fielded, and the guy just rifled a rocket to first base. And I was running to first base, trying to get to first base. And the first baseman, he saw that rocket coming and he actually pulled his glove back. He didn't want to catch it. And it hit me right in the side of the head and knocked me out cold. So I totally feel Anita's pain. I'm sorry, Anita, that happened. I hope that she recovered uh, fully and relatively quickly from that because that, that could be very, very dangerous. All right. Well, the relationships, many people talk about those relationships as the goosebump moment of the games for them. Is that the goosebump moment of the games for you or is there something else? I think the culmination of it was closing ceremonies. Um, I don't remember if it was a mandate or 
Alan had made the decision from our, for our team that our event management team did not attend opening ceremonies in case an incident were to have occurred so that we could then continue on and have the games just in case. So I, we sat all together and watched the opening ceremonies uh, on television, but didn't get to attend. But closing ceremonies, we did. Um, and being there and looking around and just seeing all the people that we had met and spent time with and gotten to know. And, uh, you know, my parents were there and, and Andy and Karen and friends and colleagues. It, it just all mashed together that it, it was really emotional. I mean, it truly was a goosebump as you look around and see this, this is it. This is what it's all about. I mean, the world has come together here. We've been a part of it. And all these people around uh, were part of it as well. And we couldn't have all done it without each other and without the you know, professional and personal support and love and caring. And um, so just that moment in time is truly special. I'm with you totally 100%. I was there at closing ceremonies as well. And it was a huge party and a celebration. It was a lot of fun. At the same time, the realization was starting to set in that this thing was coming to an end. And that was a bit hard to swallow. Now we had Paralympic games following that. Did you work the Paralympic games as well? Or were you done after the closing ceremonies? I was done. Um, I was able to attend the gold medal game. Practices were over at that point. We were already moving into loadout. Um, and so we were finished, I think, uh, within three days, uh, we had wrapped everything and turned the venues back over to the county. So, uh, at that point I was finished. And then, yeah, it's over. It's like, wow, this amazing event that you've just spent a, a year or so of your life working on and now it's done. So what happens next for you? I guess we'll wrap up with this. Why don't you tell us about what, what was next? What was the next chapter in Brad's life? And as you look back on your time in Salt Lake and other things that you've done, what were some of the lessons that you learned that could, I don't know, serve as guiding principles or, uh, you know, things that you use as kind of the foundation of your life and career, things that were forged in Salt Lake or in other things that you uh, did along the way? Yeah, sure. Um, immediately following, um, you know, as Paralympics were occurring, I, I went on a cruise and spent some time in Florida fishing and golfing with, uh, some friends. Uh, so by the time I got back, I was tanned and relaxed and decompressed and, and came back to my exhausted friends and, uh, you know, help wrap things up where I could and, uh, do some stuff. But by March I was finished. Uh, and I think I moved, uh, at the end of March back to Ohio, uh, to my family to figure out what was next. Um, you know, then got involved in some event management things, went back to Lake Placid uh, and helped out with the great outdoor games, uh, did some national and international tours uh, before settling back down uh, in D.C. for a bit and then down in Charleston. Uh, so it, in what I'm doing now with safety and security, that really got its start uh, in Salt Lake uh, and realizing the work that's done by so many agencies uh, you know, work with folks from Secret Service and FBI and uh, local law enforcement and, you know, 
those experiences and relationships have helped me um, recognize the importance that everyone plays. You know, it, it's all well and good if, you know, you've got event services and catering and an HR, but if you don't have a good sport team that can make good ice, you're dead in the water. Um, just it, the value of everyone um, is something that I carry on. Uh, you know, I try to have conversations with everyone from, you know, senior leadership uh, all the way down to the, the foot soldiers that are checking IDs at 3 a.m., um, you know, to help appreciate everyone and allow them to see that I recognize their value. Uh, I feel that you get more out of people. They can enjoy their job more. Uh, and ultimately, it helps everyone be better. Um, so just, it, you know, having that first-time management role uh, when prior it was, I had my lane and my stuff to do, and it's the most important thing. Well, everyone's thing is the most important thing. And without everyone's most important thing, ultimately, we can't deliver. All right. Well, Brad, this has been a lot, a lot of fun, a lot of fun for me. It's been great to speak with you and to hear your stories. And thank you also for sharing that advice with us. Now, if people want to learn more about the work that you're currently doing, or if they just want to swap stories about Salt Lake or other events that you've worked on, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you? Uh, social media is always pretty easy. Um, you know, it may take a day or two when I check it, but uh, LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, you know, you can find me through there. Uh, personal email address, uh, bradleyeggert at gmail.com, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y-E-G-G-E-R-T at gmail. And I'd love to reconnect with anyone. And I know the invitation has been made by John and Andy and Karen and Amy that our Hockey Palooza calls have moved from Fridays to Thursdays now. Uh, but reach out to any of us. We'd be happy to share the link and uh, reconnect with them that well, I appreciate Amy very graciously inviting me to come on to Hockey Palooza and encourage you and, and Alan to come on. In fact, uh, we were supposed to interview Alan last week, but um, he had a, a situation. And so we pushed it back till today. So we'll be speaking with him in a couple of hours, hopefully. Fingers crossed we'll, we'll get him on. All right. Well, it's been a joy to have you on here, Brad. I really appreciate you taking the time. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon. Brad, thank you so much. Thank you, Christian. Appreciate it.